Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hello and welcome to Cool Canadian History. I'm your host, David Boris. Hello and welcome to a special summer episode of Cool Canadian History. Bite and Hold, the Battle of Hill 70 and Lens, August 1917. You see, August 15th, 2017 marks the 100-year anniversary of the Battle for Hill 70 in the city of Lens. This battle was Arthur Curry's first test as commander of the Canadian Corps. It was his first victory as commander of this famous formation, and it showcased the successful application of a new tactical method known as Bite and Hold. At the same time, subsequent operations reminded all involved that stretching your neck out too far can often end up you getting bit. A victory and a harsh lesson for those involved. Today's episode is dedicated to Ryan Wilcox from Vancouver. Thank you, Ryan, for your donation and your continued support of this podcast. A reminder... You can find me on Twitter at Doc Boris, that's at D-O-C-B-O-R-Y-S, and you can find Cool Canadian History anywhere you download your podcasts. We are also on Facebook, and of course at our website, www.coolcanadianhistory.com. Both these places give you the option via Patreon and PayPal to donate to the podcast. Your donations are the only way this podcast supports itself, and both Patreon and PayPal provide secure and easy ways to support us with only a few dollars. As well, this episode's book recommendation is the fantastic Capturing Hill 70, Canada's Forgotten Battle of the First World War, edited by Doug Delaney and Serge Durflinger, published in 2016 by UBC Press. This edited collection of essays is an extremely readable and well-researched examination of this often overlooked battle. Okay. So the battle for Hill 70 in Lens is connected to the larger offensive known as the Third Battle of Ypres. And to get a proper understanding of this battle, we need to establish this broader strategic picture. The early summer of 1917 saw the Entente forces facing continual deadlock all across the Western Front. The British had failed to crack the German lines during the Arras offensive earlier that spring, of which the Canadian Corps' capture of Vimy Ridge was one of the few highlights. You can check out our discussion of Vimy Ridge in Season 2, Episodes 15 and 16. The French were dealing with large-scale mutinies amongst their soldiers, the Poilus, 
as casualty rates continued to mount for very little gain into the summer of 1917. At the same time, the Russians were in absolute turmoil, as the Tsar's government had collapsed, and in its place was an unreliable provisional government that would eventually fall to the Bolsheviks. Even the entry of the Americans in April of 1917 on behalf of the Entente forces did little to boost morale, as it would take months before the might of the American military arrived in Europe. It was in this strategic environment that the commander of the British Expeditionary Force, Sir Douglas Haig, planned yet another offensive, this time in the Flanders sector near the border of France and Belgium. Haig argued forcefully, and very optimistically, that his plans could very well bring about the collapse of German resistance on the Western Front. Though the Germans had been successful in stopping almost every BEF and French offensive, intelligence reports now presented a picture of a German military critically low on manpower and a German nation near starving due to the ongoing British naval blockade of the continent. In order to successfully carry out Haig's offensive in the Flanders sector, what would become known as the Third Battle of Ypres, he needed to ensure that the Germans would be unable to get reinforcements from further south. This is where the Canadian Corps came in. The Corps would conduct attacks towards the city of Lens in order to prevent the Germans from moving reinforcements from that section farther north to Flanders. Essentially, the Canadians would be pinning the Germans down and allowing Haig to break through farther north. The Canadian Corps was, at this time, part of 1st British Army, and Haig ordered 1st Army to capture Lens and advance on the city of Lille. This, they hoped, would pose a serious enough threat to the Germans that the Germans would not be able to ignore this advance. The task for the capture of Lens was thus given to the Canadian Corps, freshly recovered from their victory at Vimy Ridge, and, of course, it would be given to the Corps' newly appointed commander, Ontario-born Sir Arthur Curry. Curry's pre-war experience was limited, and he was not a professional soldier when the war broke out. Essentially, prior to the war, he was one of Canada's tens of thousands of weekend warriors that passed for a Canadian militia. However, his aptitude for command and fundamental understanding of the battlefield saw him rise quickly through the ranks, when he was promoted to command the Corps in early June 1917, it was the first time in history that a Canadian commanded such a large Canadian formation. Curry and his staff studied the intended objective of Lens and soon came to realize that attacking and capturing the city without capturing the heights of Hill 70 to its north made no sense. If the Canadians were to capture Lens, they would still be vulnerable to directed fire from the Germans entrenched on the hill. Curry thus changed the plan. The Corps would attack and capture Hill 70 before moving on to capture Lens itself. Curry hoped that the capture of Hill 70 would force a German withdrawal from Lens. This would then avoid the Canadians having to engage in a brutal street fight in a city that was now a broken landscape of destroyed buildings, rubble, and debris, not to mention German trenches and machine gun nests. Simply put, with the Canadians on Hill 70, they could direct murderous, accurate artillery fire onto the Germans in the city of Lens. With the Canadians dominating the high ground above the city, Curry figured, and hoped, 
the Germans would relinquish their position and withdraw. The plan for the attack on Hill 70 was for a two-division assault, 1st Canadian Infantry Division on the left, 2nd Canadian Infantry Division on the right. They would capture the enemy's three main trench lines held by soldiers of the German 7th Division. Essentially, the Canadians would bite Hill 70 and hold it against German counterattacks. Now, one needs to understand that the trenches they were to capture were designed to defend against attacks from the west, i.e. Canadians attacking the Germans, west to east. They were not built to defend attacks from the east, where the German reinforcements and supply lines were located. Thus, even after the Canadians of 1st and 2nd Divisions captured the German trench lines, they would have to immediately set to work reconstructing them into effective defensive positions against German counterattacks from the east. This is what we call consolidation. This consolidation meant effectively renovating the German trenches to successfully defend against German counterattacks from the east. Most importantly, though, this consolidation would include bringing up a large number of machine guns to face the predicted German counterattacks. Most of the machine guns allotted to this consolidation phase were Vickers heavy machine guns. The gun itself weighed about 20 to 30 pounds, the tripod it was mounted on was somewhere between 40 and 50 pounds, and the ammunition needed for the gun was about 22 pounds when being carried. Thus, three or four unlucky soldiers were expected to lug 100 pounds of gear as fast as they could up to these newly captured front lines, hopefully in time to beat back waves of counter-attacking Germans. Meanwhile, artillery observers would also be coming forward to take up observation posts in order to call down the artillery on the enemy. Once Hill 70 was captured, secured, and the German counterattacks beaten back, 4th Canadian Division would prepare to move into Lens the moment there was any sign of a German withdrawal from the city itself. Now, for most of late July and into early August, the Canadian Corps harassed German positions throughout the area. Trench raids, random artillery barrages, and general mayhem was inflicted upon the Germans in order to soften them up for the eventual assault. In fact, this general mayhem even included the Canadians firing 3,500 drums and 900 shells of poison gas into the German positions around Lens. Now, the original date for the attack was the 30th of July, but Curry kept pushing the jump-off date back in order to ensure that enough artillery was in place and those commanding the artillery were up to speed on the attack plan. Thus, it wasn't until the 15th of August that the Canadian Corps launched their assault. At 4.25 a.m., the Canadians advanced out of their trenches, hugging close to the creeping barrage in front of them as it moved slowly but powerfully across no man's land and up the treeless slope of Hill 70. The Germans were not caught by surprise. They detected the building up of men and material, and they had experienced the previous weeks of mayhem that certainly indicated something big was coming. Regardless, the preparation by the Canadians overwhelmed the Germans' initial defense. Though the Canadian advance went relatively quickly, 
when the Canadians encountered stiff points of resistance, they utilized relatively new platoon tactics to overcome these positions. This was instead of the traditional hunkering down, waiting for artillery, and slowing the general advance. These new platoon tactics essentially included a combination of riflemen, so that's the guys carrying the rifles, bombers, that was the infantry guys who were loaded up with grenades, rifle bombers, uh, these were infantry guys armed with rifle grenades, similar in some ways to modern-day mortars, and machine gunners, so guys carrying light machine guns, that were organized into specialist sections making up the modern Canadian infantry platoon. Using machine gun fire and rifle grenade fire to suppress the enemy, the Canadian riflemen and bombers could essentially move to the flanks of a German strongpoint and close in for the kill. Effectively, Canadian platoons were now employing modern fire and movement tactics to assault German strongpoints. This not only meant the advance could keep moving, but the Canadians could stay close to the Canadian artillery barrage that continued to creep forward from one German line to the next. By 6 a.m., almost all the objectives for Hill 70 had been captured. The attack was an incredible and unqualified success, but the cost was high. Over 1,000 Canadians were killed in that assault alone, with 2,400 being wounded. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. German counterattacks began immediately, but the Canadians were ready. Every time a German trench was captured, the Canadians had set to work rebuilding it to defend against an attack from the east. Sometimes this was as basic as tearing out the firing step on the western side of a trench and attaching it to the eastern side. Other times this meant far more intensive work, building up the trench wall to face east, moving barbed wire and other obstacles to the other side of the trench, digging out new pits to hold machine guns. Forty-eight of the Vickers' heavy machine guns were brought up on the heels of the first wave of attacking Canadian troops, and within minutes, these were creating interlocking fields of fire that would play a crucial role in stopping the German counterattacks. Airplanes from the Royal Flying Corps dipped and dodged above the battlefield, reporting any movement or buildup of counterattacking German troops. Canadian and British artillery pounded German reinforcement lines, destroying men and material and making movement very dangerous for any counterattacking force. Nonetheless, the German counterattack came on in earnest at 8 a.m. and proceeded to hit the Canadians with wave after wave for several hours. In fact, over the course of the day, several different German battalions were thrown against the Canadians, only to be beaten back by murderous fire. Over the course of the next couple of days, elements of five different German divisions engaged the Canadians. 
For the period from 16th to the 18th of August, the Canadians lost 449 killed and 1,300 wounded, relatively light losses considering how many German troops were trying to dislodge them. Arthur Curry was ecstatic with his capture of Hill 70, yet the Germans showed no signs of abandoning Lenz. Here is where we see Curry stick his neck out too far. He sought to capture several German trench lines on the outskirts of the city, yet very little time was spent in reconnaissance or preparation. The Canadians had very little idea of how many Germans were in the city as well. The attackers would be engaging the Germans in extremely difficult terrain. Lens had been absolutely demolished in the fighting, and the city was essentially covered in piles of bricks and debris with trench lines carved throughout its streets and skeletal remains of its buildings. The Germans had constructed tunnels and passageways through the debris and rubble, which allowed them to move in behind the Canadians. The results of the ensuing attack on Lens was sadly predictable. From the 20th to the 25th of August, the Canadians threw battalion after battalion into Lens only to be repulsed with extremely high casualties. Even when the Canadians supposedly captured an objective, it seemed like more Germans came out of cellars, dugouts, and seemingly unoccupied piles of rubble to throw them out. By the 25th of August, the attack on Lens was called off. The Germans held. In terms of the strategic picture, the Canadian action at Hill 70 and Lens achieved its goal. It was successful in tying down large numbers of German soldiers that could have been redirected northwards to Flanders, where the main British offensive thrust was occurring. Though it should be pointed out that Haig's great breakthrough in the Flanders sector would never materialize. Interestingly enough, the Canadians will end up in Flanders in the fall of 1917 to participate in the infamous Battle of Passchendaele. Tactically speaking, this Battle of Hill 70 and Lens is a bit more complicated. While the assault on Hill 70 was an incredible success, in many ways a model for bite-and-hold operations, the assault on Lens was an abject failure. What had made Hill 70 so successful Careful planning and preparation was almost entirely absent for the follow-up on Lens. It was a hard lesson, but one that Curry and the Corps would never forget. A reminder, you can find us on iTunes, you can find us on Facebook, you can find us on SoundCloud, and you can find us at our website, www.coolcanadianhistory.com, and of course you can find me on Twitter, at DocBoris, that's at D-O-C-B-O-R-Y-S. I want to thank you for listening. For Cool Canadian History, I'm David Boris. Take care.